Lovers, thank you so much for tuning back in to Sit Still with Sierra. In this episode, I begin the Healing from Church Hurt series. Now, I'm not particularly sure how many episodes will go into this series, but there is a lot that I want to say and cover, so just buckle up and hang tight as I figure all of that out. Now, in this first episode, I talk about service abuse, which is actually a term that I didn't even realize existed until after recording this audio, but basically I share my story of feeling coerced into serving and only feeling valuable within the church that I served in for a while when I was helping and volunteering and serving from certain individuals. I hope that this episode helps you if you relate to that in any capacity, and I hope you guys stick around for the full entire Church Hurt series. Happy listening! I'm very excited, a little bit nervous, to talk about church and religious trauma and the intersection of religious and racial trauma. Um, And so this first episode, I'm going to kind of just share a little bit more of my story. I've been sharing it through my work as a journalist, um, and this is journalism, what I'm doing right now, audio journalism, but I've been sharing it um, through print and digital work for a couple of publications and just posting things on my social media pages. But I'm excited to have this space to jump in, kind of dig deeper, tell some stories that I didn't get to tell on the, you know, through the stories that I wrote, and to open this floor up to have some really cool people sit down with me, share their experiences. I would definitely like to have an expert opinion from a therapist that can really speak to the um, mental side of experiencing religious and racial trauma. And so that is the story that is going to be told for the next few episodes. So I hope you buckle up and I hope that, you know, if you relate to this in any regard, that this aids in your healing to some capacity, um, because that is truly why I am even doing this. It's for my own healing as well as others. I have, you know, just been in contact with so many people um, that I haven't spoken to in years or people that I don't speak to on a regular basis that have reached out to me, that have messaged me, DM'd me, commented, called. I've seen them in public um, and just have told me that, what I'm doing and how, how I'm speaking out and sharing my story, how impactful it has been for them and how much they relate. And so I, you know, that's the confirmation that I needed. I kept asking God for confirmation, like, well, should I talk about this? Should I share my story? And he just gave me so much confirmation, even though he didn't have to, um, because he told me to do it. And so that's good enough. Like that is um, good enough to obey him and to speak up and speak out is because he told me to, but he was gracious enough to give me confirmation and is continuing to give me confirmation through so many ways. And so that is the pre- the premise of this episode. And then of course, later on in the series, like I said, I want to have some people on, have them share their experiences and kind of just talk about the parallels between our stories. So to give some context, I shared a story in, I believe it was July, it might have been June, everything is kind of just running together at this point, Um, but I shared my story with leaving my church of 13 years, my multicultural church of 13 years, that was the title of the story, and I kind of shared my experience um, the past year of kind of things that were leading me to not being a member there anymore, Um, and so... I shared that experience, but it was definitely, you know, I didn't have all the length in the world for the word count to share my experiences. And there's so much more that needs to be said and wants to be said. And I'm like, you know what? I have a podcast. Duh. I can use that space um, to tell that story. 
Um, I just looked. It was actually in June that I posted the story. Um, I left my multicultural church after 13 years. And so I talked a lot about some of the racial trauma that I endured the past year with being there. Um, but there is so much more to the story. There's so much more to no longer being a member there and God telling me to leave. And so I do want to share a bit. This isn't about bashing the church. This isn't about bashing people there. This is about me telling the truth, not a truth, not my truth, telling the truth of what occurred, what God was telling me to do, and how God showed me four years before I left. He showed me that I would be leaving. Um, and so it's just insane to think about how many changes have occurred this year in my personal life, um, in my family, and school, and church, and work, and location of where I live. Um, and so that was something that was really huge. So let me back up for a minute because I've been going to therapy since the beginning of, um, I want to say, May. I consistently started going um, and it has just helped me so much. It's put into perspective so much about who I am, why I do things the way that I do, what parts of me aren't really my identity, but things I kind of just picked up, um, and coping with, with life, coping with change, coping with trauma and religious and f uh, communal spaces and, and just coping with racial trauma and all of those things. Especially after the death of Trayvon Martin, I, you know, I was 12, 13 at the time, 13, I believe, um, when he was killed. And since that moment, I was just like, you know, it, it, nothing is ever going to be the same for me. Like my whole lens of life in America and criminal justice and everything just flipped after Trayvon Martin because I had read about, you know, I read about Martin Luther King. I read about, um, you know, I read about these traumatic experiences. I read about Rodney King. I read about, you know, all of these things that were happening in the 60s or the or the 70s, like all of the stuff that was happening, but I hadn't ever seen it for myself in my day and age as a young child until Trayvon Martin. And so that was like the flip for me. And so I've always been vocal about, you know, racism and justice and politics, but I had never gotten the pushback that I got um, from people at the church until last year. And so that really just flipped things for me. Like I was like, you know what? I used to say, you know, maybe they're not speaking up. They're not aware. They don't know how, blah, blah, blah. I tried to make excuses, but at that point I'm like, there's no more excuses. There's no more. Well, maybe that's just not their cup of tea. No, there was no more. There was no more making excuses for it. There was no more kind of trying to rationalize and cover up for them and be like, well, this is a multicultural church, so at least they're not, you know, just, you know, segregating themselves as white people and just only having a white church, so you know it's okay. And it's like, and it just goes to show that what happens in your childhood really does shape who you are as an adult. It really does matter, you know, and that's why being healed from trauma, whether you view it as trauma or you just view it as, oh, that was just a negative experience. No, it's trauma if it still impacts you all these years later. And so I was like, you know, well, to be honest with you, I came to the Christian school when I was in third grade. I was eight years old and I I had a great experience in public school first and second grade. Um, my sister was being moved into this, this private school. She was a seventh grader and so just for like convenience sake and my parents just felt glad to have me go there as well. We were at the same school for two years together 
And so I didn't necessarily want to be there. I was like, I was having a great time at my elementary school, but I loved school at that point um, in general. So it wasn't like a huge deal to me, I guess, having to change schools. I, of course, did miss my friends, but I came in. Um, public and private school is vastly different. Um, the people are different. Um, the curriculum is obviously different. Like everything is just so different. And so I remember one of my first things that I noticed about being at this school is that I was like, oh, you know, there's a lot of pastor's kids or there's a lot of children that have been here since they were babies, like basically born in this church. And that wasn't my experience. You know, I came as an eight-year-old, which is very young, but I wasn't born there. And so me and my sister both experienced this to where it's like, there was a lot of, you know, favoritism or nepotism or whatever you want to call it. And so because I didn't go there since I was a baby or because I was not, you know, a leader's child, I was treated differently there. And so I was done making excuses. The blinders were off. I was done kind of trying to cover up for them and try and rationalize why they weren't speaking up or why they were trying to police how I was speaking or why they weren't doing what I believed should have been done. And so that is kind of the story that I told through my story, but that I told in June. But there is so much more to the religious trauma, um, church trauma that I have endured. Um, and I'm not going to speak for any of my family members. They can speak for themselves and they, you know, we have conversations or my sister tells her story on social media. And so that's her space to do so. I'm not going to try and tell her story for her. But for me personally, the church trauma didn't start there. And if it hadn't been for therapy this year, I wouldn't have realized why so much of like, how so much of the way that I am now or things that I do or just the the hurdles that I have to jump mentally to do things, it started when I was a little kid. Um, I attended this school that was a part of the church um, and I came from public school first and second grade and then I attended this private school from third to eighth grade. And so a big chunk of my childhood, a big chunk, chunk of my adolescence were in these four walls, Monday through Friday. And then um, when I was 11, we started going to church there. So Monday through Friday and Sunday. So basically, you know, my entire life for many years was in this one building. And so there was so much trauma that I had developed from from a childhood, like from being an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old that I didn't even realize until this year. Like I really, really battle insecurity and no, I'm not blaming it all on them. Like there are so many different, you know, factors that contribute to dealing with body image and self-esteem and self-worth and insecurity, but I would be lying if I said that a huge chunk of it didn't stem from things that I was just thrown at, that that were just thrown at me as a child being in the in the space. And so I remember talking to my therapist a few weeks ago and I was like, you know, I, and I say this to my family a lot so they know, but I have never really said this to anyone else. So this, I don't know if this will be shocking or just weird for you to hear, but I'm like, I always feel like I automatically assume that people don't like me. And my therapist is like, what? And even my family, they're like, what? People love you. Like, why do you assume that people don't like you automatically? And I had this conversation with my mom more in depth as we were driving back from, um, from my university after we moved out of my apartment. And I remember feeling so inadequate being there um, because I wasn't, you know, one of those things, one of those labels of either a pastor's kid or a leader's kid, or I hadn't been there since I was practically born. I had to fight for attention. And so very quickly I learned that adults would pay me attention if I helped them. And so because it was a private 
school slash church, you know, it was very, you know, it was a very small school. Um, you know, there are a lot of overlaps with like people that worked for the church also worked for the school or things like that. Or a lot of times we would be helping with church things. And so I just, I'm just sharing my experience. Um, and I have to be honest, like I remember the children's pastors at that time really wouldn't give me the time of day unless I was helping them. And they were like some of the coolest people in my eyes. They were like some of the coolest people ever. And I just wanted them to give me the same attention that they were giving my other classmates that were pastor's kids or people that had been there their whole lives. And I just wanted that attention too. And so I was like, you know what, when they, you know, they would always ask us to help with something, help set this up, help decorate this, help do this, whatever the case may be. I was always so eagerly saying yes because I so desperately wanted to have attention as well. And even though it wasn't the same attention, you know, my little eight, nine, 10, 11 year old brain was like, you know what, at least they're paying attention to me. You know, when they come up and ask me, can you help or help do this or whatever the case may be, I was like, at least you're giving me some sort of attention. So very quickly I was like, yes, I'll volunteer. Yes, I'll do this. Yes, I will help in this area. Yes, I will do whatever it is that you need me to do because as long as I'm helping you, you're giving me attention. And I just wanted attention because I'm a little kid. That's very normal. Now, obviously I'm 22 years old. I can see it for what it is. If someone is only paying me attention when they need something from me that is manipulative and I deserve better than that and I wouldn't do it. Um, but at the time, I just so desperately wanted the same attention that they were getting. And even though it wasn't the same level of attention because as soon as I was done helping them, they stopped paying attention to me, it was still something. So I would say yes, I would do whatever they needed me to do. I would help out even if I didn't really feel like it, I would say yes. And so I didn't realize until this year, I'm 22, um, so this is like over a decade later, I didn't realize how damaging that was to my self-esteem. Like I only felt valuable, I only felt wanted, I only felt liked if I was doing something. And that really skewed my relationship with God as well. I'm still trying to unlearn that right now. Like I still, in my brain, believe that God only likes me if I'm doing something for him. And if I'm not doing something for him, then he doesn't really care about me. And I know that that's not the truth. I know that that's the furthest thing from the truth. But this is something, just being honest, this is something that I fight through daily. Like if I feel like I didn't do enough in my day, I feel, oh, God doesn't like me. Or if something bad happens, something inconvenient happens in life, because that's just life. That doesn't mean that God hates you. Life is life. Things are unfair. But if something bad happens in my life, I'm just like, God, why are you punishing me? Like, what? Like, did I not do enough? Is there something else I can do? And, you know, something that's so foundational to our faith is that our works did not save us. It's through grace and, and faith alone that we're saved. But here I am thinking, like, I have to work. I have to do. I have to output in order for God to like me. And I remember going through this whole thought process out loud in therapy. And my therapist just being like, like, oh, my goodness. Like, you really believe that? You really think that God only likes you? when you're doing something or you think that because something bad happened in your life or something inconvenient happened that it's God punishing you because you didn't do enough and I'm like yes that's what I that's what I think that's my like go-to thought process and so I'm really unlearning that I'm calling it out I'm trying to call it out every time I have that thought come up that oh if I would have just done more then God would like me more for or if I would have just done more then this circumstance would have been different and it's like, no, that, that stemmed from my experience with humans because I was treated disposably. And that's the word that I'm using because the past few weeks as I've uncovered this, I've been using the word disposably because that's how I was treated. Like, 
If I was doing something for them, I got attention, I got praise, whatever you want to call it. If I was not helping, if I was not doing, the attention dwindled, the conversations dwindled. Or if I wasn't with my best friend who is, you know, a leader's child, they would give me attention when I was with her. But if I was just by myself, I wouldn't like they would just walk past me versus if I was with her, they would talk to us. Well, mostly talk to her, but I was standing there and it felt good at the time. And so that is just a really wild thing to endure as a child. And of course, it's going to have a lasting impression on you mentally and how you view yourself. And so the level of perfectionism that I have aspired to and am unlearning so much stems from my experience as a child with being treated disposably. And to be very, very honest with you, I kind of felt this come up again when I left my church in January because there are people that I really, truly thought would reach out to me or, you know, hit me up when my story came out or just talk to me. The fact that I am no longer at the church when I've been there almost my whole life, I would have thought that there were certain people that would have reached out to me or talked to me or just asked me how I'm doing and they never reached out to me. And I'm not going to lie and say that didn't hurt, but at the same time, I wasn't really shocked. I was no longer serving there. I was no longer doing anything for them. And so, you know, there was nothing, there was no transaction anymore. I wasn't giving them anything, so they had nothing to give me, even if it was just a simple, how are you doing? Um, how are you? How are things going? I see you're going through a difficult time. You want to chat about it? Like nothing. There was nothing. There was no communication. And if this would have happened when I was a little kid, I would have been oblivious. I would have just been like, okay, that's just how it is. No, now I'm an adult and I can see it for what it is. And so, so much of, like I said, so much of my like mental state and just how I view myself and like really, really dealing with insecurity and automatically assuming that people aren't going to like me stems from my experience as a child growing up at this place and constantly feeling like I had to say yes. Um, I have a podcast episode called Just Say No. And I kind of talked about my experience of like, when I was younger, feeling like I always had to say yes to adults, whatever it was, because they're adults, they're in charge, and you know they know best because they're adults, when really it'd be like, so many times I wanted to say no to doing things or helping, but I felt that I had to in order to continue receiving attention. And so now, as an adult that can think more rationally and more soundly, I'm like, that is so wrong. Like, that is so wrong to do that. And you know, I've had people that have messaged me and said that they've had similar experiences um, with their church hurt when I talked about racial trauma, which I shared in my story in June. But, you know, there are so many people as well that just talk about like favoritism or like things like that they experience and being ignored. And let me tell you, I did become a favorite, I guess you could say. I did become a favorite because I always helped. And I remember being in middle school, I think I was in the eighth grade, and I remember my whole class kind of just like turned on me and my two best friends they were like they always get more attention they always get to do whatever they get special treatment and at first i couldn't see it i was like what do you guys mean like i just help and i get to do things like if the teacher asks for help or if an admin or someone from the church asks for help i just do it and so now i'm like a go-to person that they know that i always say yes so i was blind to it like i was like why are you guys like ganging up on us right now like i don't get special treatment i just volunteer and help but it soon became like I was a favorite. I did start getting more attention outside of just helping because they, like my reputation at that point was that if something needed to be done, if if there are volunteers needed, Sierra's always going to say yes. I did sound. 
I ran the sound system from fifth to eighth grade every single morning for our like morning assembly every single day, whether I wanted to or not. It soon became like, oh yeah, I wanted to do it. It was something fun to do. But it's like the fact that I had to like do things and work in order to receive attention really did impact me as a child. Um, it really impacts me now as an adult. And I, I know I know what the truth is. I know that the truth is that God loves me regardless of me doing 50 things in a day or doing zero things in a day. I know that my works and me volunteering in church and in school is not what led me to be saved. First off, I was saved before I even came to this the school and church, but it's not my works that saved me. It's not. It's God, God's grace over my life, his mercy over my life, and it's me believing in him and believing in that that saved me. It's nothing that I did. I couldn't do a single thing to earn my salvation. And so I know that, I say it out loud, I believe that it's true, but I still have so many moments of feeling inadequate every single day where I'm just like, man, God doesn't like me. Or man, I didn't do enough for God like today. I didn't do enough to stay in his good graces or I didn't do enough to deserve whatever it is that I want. That's so harmful. That's so not good. And I have to I have to say this because I feel like when it comes to church, and again, this isn't about me bashing this particular church or school. This is me sharing my experience. And there are millions of people around the country and world that have their own experiences at different institutions that are parallel. And so that's why I'm sharing this. But there, when it comes to church and when it comes to spaces, these spaces where it's like, where you, it's very volunteer based. The majority of people that serve in church are not paid. You know, the pastors are paid. And even then, there are some cases where pastors aren't paid. But for the most part, volunteer-based um, activities and things, you're not going to be paid. And so, unfortunately, a lot of times what happens in church is that people start to feel burned out because they feel this obligation to always volunteer, to always say yes, because they want to impress their leader. They want to impress their pastor. And you know what? I get it. It's like your pastor is a figure in your life that you look up to. And so validation from them feels nice. It feels good. It feels good to be wanted or needed. I get that completely. But what I have been telling myself and what I've been drilling in my head is that my validation comes from God and God alone. Not from my parents, not from my siblings, not from someone in church, not from my pastors. My validation has to and needs to come from God alone because man and women and whoever, they're going to fail me. They are. And so if I'm putting this on, putting them on this pedestal where, where they can give me validation, where they can determine my self-worth, then I'm setting myself up for failure. And so are you. If you're listening to this and you have your pastor or leader or whoever on a pedestal where, where they determine your worth, you are setting yourself up for failure. I have to be transparent. I have to be blunt and say that. But so many times, you know, in church, because it's volunteer based, people will say yes to everything. They will burn out. The same people will volunteer over and over again. Meanwhile, other people sit by and they never volunteer. But there's this level of burnout in church to where it's like you go from serving and I've seen it. I've seen it happen like on a very wide scale. People that used to do everything in church do, don't do anything. And some people that don't know their experience may look at them and be like, well, why don't they volunteer? Why don't they do anything? It's like because they are so burned out from always saying yes, for always being the go-to person that always served. And so I think that there is an important conversation to be had when it comes to volunteering and doing and, and performance in church. And when I say performance, I mean like participating and helping and cleaning and serving, whatever you want to call it. 
there's something that needs to be said about that because obviously we need people to volunteer in order for the smooth functioning of the church. We need volunteers to help clean. We need ushers to usher. We need people to help in the nursery. We need people to help run the sound. But what I want to say to anyone that is listening and that feels burned out from church and feels burned out from volunteering and serving, it's that your first priority when it comes to church is to go there to worship and praise God and to have something imparted into you. If you are always just giving, 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 and you're never getting in church, that is a red flag. That's not okay. That is a level That is a level of trauma. Whether you want to call it trauma or not, that is a traumatic experience that you're only... Um, the only thing that you do in church is is give. You never get. And, you know, take personal responsibility for it because you do have the ability to say no. But there is also the flip side where it's like you feel pressure to always saying yes. That's on other people. They will be held accountable for that because you shouldn't coerce or force people to do things and to always serve 24-7. That's not healthy. And so one of the things that has come out of this pandemic is that churches has been rewired. Whether you want to say it or not, church has been rewired. There is no going back to normal. Maybe some churches have gone back to in-person and everything has gone back to quote-unquote normal, but there is no normal. There is no going back to what was. So many things have, you know, so many things have unraveled in churches and people can say, well, it's just the enemy trying to attack us. No, some things needed to come undone. Some things needed to come undone because they're not healthy, because it's not aiding um, and the salvation of people. Things needed to come undone. One of those things that needed to come undone is this level of, this high level of volunteer, um, this high level of performance to where people only feel valuable in the church if they're constantly performing or where people only give, 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 and they're never getting the word. They're never getting filled up when they go to church. That is a red flag. And let me tell you right now that if you think volunteering every single week can buy you salvation or can buy you good graces with God, it can't. You can be serving Monday through Friday, Sunday through Saturday in church and still miss it all because that's not what it's about. It's not about our works. And so I want to undo this, this lie that is perpetuated in churches amongst parishioners, amongst leaders, amongst pastors, amongst whoever, whoever spreads this lie that you constantly have to perform um, and you constantly have to do, 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 do in church or else you're not a good Christian or you're not a good follower of Christ. That is a lie. You know your body. You know your mental um, capacity. You know how much you can and cannot take. If you were at your wit's end with constantly serving in church, it's not rocket science that you need to step down and take a break, that you need a break. You need a break. Maybe you're waiting for someone to tell you that for you to do it. So here I am telling you, you need a break. You should not walk into the four walls of your church and automatically feel drained. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. There should be, there needs to be a restructuring of what it means to volunteer in church. There needs to be a restructuring of not burning out the same 10 people, of not burning out the same pastors, not burning out the same leaders. But there's trauma embedded in that because you know what will happen if you allow yourself to keep saying yes and keeping burned out? You will quit. Because you're so burned out, you will just quit church altogether and you won't want to have anything to do with it. And that's not God's intention. God has called us to come together and to have that fellowship and to have that, 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 that communal space. However, he did not intend for you to literally be so burned out that you don't even have the capacity to get up on a Sunday morning and go to church. 
that's not what he intended. And so I'm speaking to that lie right now. And I'm telling you that if you feel that you are at your wit's end, it is not a sin to take a break, to say, have a conversation with your leader or your pastor and say, you know what? I'm really burned out. I really need a break. I really just need to come here on Sundays and just be poured into. I don't need to be serving right now. Somebody needs to hear that. I really, really feel that, that somebody needs to hear that because you think that your performance and always saying yes to your pastors and leaders is going to be the thing that saves you. It's not. It's not. God's goodness and gracious mercy over your life is what saves you. That's it. Your works can't do it. And so that is probably the first takeaway that I want you to have from this first episode talking about church trauma is this whole volunteer-based Um, belief that you have to have to have to always say yes and that you should if you're not serving every single Sunday you're not serving every single week that you're a bad Christian that's a lie that is a lie because I know what it feels like firsthand I am not just simple you know I'm not just empathizing with you I'm sympathizing with you because I know firsthand what it feels like to only feel valuable when you're helping and when you're serving and to feel disposable when you're not to feel like people don't really care about you, to feel like, oh wow, they don't even check up on me. Oh wow, they don't even talk to me unless I'm helping. I know what that feels like and it doesn't feel good. But I'm here to tell you that that's no, that's that's not what God intends. This season of my life has definitely, if there's something else that I've gotten out of this year, it's that God will not be misrepresented. It's that he won't be misrepresented. He's not going to be claim like he's not a label is not going to be put on him that's not him so I'm here to tell you that feeling like you're only valuable to the church or feeling like you always have to say yes even when you want to say no to leaders or pastors or whoever that's not God that's not God that is not God if God tells you to do something obviously do it that's not what I'm saying I'm not saying well just say no if God tells you to do something no if God tells you to do something obviously do it But what I am here to tell you is that your leaders, your pastors, your discipleship group leaders, whoever is in your life and church that is a leader to you, they are not your God. Just because they say something, ask God. Ask God if you should be doing it. You have God, if you have God in you, if you are a Christian or a follower of Christ, whatever you call yourself, and you have God living on the inside of you, that's the same God on the inside of them. You can ask God for confirmation. God, is this what you want me to be doing? Is this what you're telling me to do? Or is this just them? assess the situation. I'm telling you, if there's something else you get out of this episode, it's to ask God what you should be doing. Because we this this um we have this obsession in our culture. We have this obsession in church with being busy, with being busy and with just having things to do. I'm here to tell you that if God is not telling you to do something, if he's not telling you to do it, but you still feel forced and coerced into doing it, that is not of God. That is actually very manipulative, and the Bible says that manipulation is is parallel to witchcraft. I'm telling you that that's not okay, to have people make you feel like you have to do something, and to make you feel like you're only valuable if you're helping them. That's not okay, and there is more to life for you. You know, the Bible says that um, that Jesus came to give us life and give us life abundantly. It's not an abundant life to feel like you're only valuable if you are helping. That's not an abundant life especially not in church. So I shared my story. I shared my experience not to bash, again, this is my third time saying it, not to bash the church and the school that I came from, not to bash any leaders. This is for me to tell the truth, not a truth, but to tell the truth, because I believe there's liberation in, in, in speaking the truth. 
there is freedom that comes in telling these stories. There is freedom that com- comes in, in when you speak up and share your experience and there are so many people that can relate to you. There's freedom. I experienced that when I shared my story in June. When so many, like hundreds of people agreed or so many people messaged me, called me, commented and said, I had the same experience. I had the same thing happen to me. There was freedom in that. I was like, wow, I'm not the only one experiencing this. So I'm sharing this story of feeling valuable only when I'm volunteering or helping because there is someone, even if it's just one person that listens to this and relates to it, there is someone that only feels valuable when they are serving or helping or saying yes constantly to their leader or pastor. And I'm telling you that your value is not from them. It cannot come from them. And your validation is from God. It's from God alone. If this is the sign that you are looking for, here is your sign. You are not valuable because of what you do for anyone. You are valuable because God just, he just created you that way. He created you with an infinite amount of value, an infinite amount of value. There's nothing you can do to, to, to lose that value. I hope you guys enjoy this episode of the podcast. This is just the first of many episodes where I will be talking about religious and church trauma And I will be intersecting that with racial trauma as well. But I hope you guys enjoyed this first episode. Feel free to message me. Um, You can follow the podcast at Sit Still with Sierra on Instagram. And my personal Instagram is at Sierra underscore Elizabeth underscore. You can message me on those platforms. You can DM me on Facebook. If you have my number, you can hit me up. I just want everyone to be healed and whole. Healed and whole. And any way that I can aid in that, then God use me that that's that's my mission that's where i'm at right now in life is like i want to be healthy and whole and i want to see other people healthy and whole and i want people to know that whatever experiences that they may have had in church that were traumatic that's not god it's not so if this helped you and you know that there may be someone else in your circle that this may help then share it with a friend share it with a family member share it on your platform whatever the case may be but i hope you guys enjoy this episode of the podcast and i will be back for another episode um, in a couple weeks. So stay tuned and look out for some really cool guests I'm gonna have on in the next few weeks. Talk to y'all later, bye.